Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Whenever, I'm not going to go through the long deal, a lot of you already know it, but one day, y'all that are kind of new here will hear the whole story, but... When we got the call to come up here to Colorado, my, by the time I got home, my wife had printed out every real estate listing in Elbert County, Douglas County, El Paso County, Arapahoe County, Weld County. And the only thing that we could find was that we couldn't afford anything up here. And so anyway, the guy that had called me to come up here, that story, he called me and he said, are you even considering coming up here? And I said, well, yeah, you know. Uh, we would love to, but there's nothing, I can't afford anything, you know, starting a ministry and stuff like that. And he goes, well, I got a buddy that has a house for rent. Why don't you come up here and look at it? So anyway, I didn't get my hopes up, but we drove up. It was my first time my kids and my wife had ever been to Colorado. And uh, so we drove out to the uh, Comanche Creek Road and turned north and went a few miles and then turned east on County Road 150 and went down and right on the hill, Overlooking the Bijou was a Spanish-looking stucco house with archways and a courtyard, and uh, set you know had the prettiest view in the world. And uh, anyway, I'm walking around looking, and, and anyway, I, I, I tell the the owner of the house, he goes, "Well, you know, I'm going to be." transferring out and I don't want to sell because I'll eventually come back but I want a good family to you know stay in here and he's like I said well what do you want a month for it and he goes man and he said I I I gotta have eight hundred dollars a month can is is that okay <laughs> and I was, yeah that was half the price of a trailer house across the road in the trailer park and uh anyway I was like oh yeah I think I can handle that and so anyway, I turned around to ask my wife what she thought of the place. And she's sitting there shaking her head, no. And tears are coming down her face. And that girl don't cry. And I said, honey, what's the matter? And she just shook her head. She couldn't say anything. And I was scared because I was like, she doesn't like it, <laughs> you know? And anyway, I went up and I put my arms around her and I said, honey, what's wrong? And she goes, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. I said, well, try me. Come on, let, let, let's walk over here. And, you know, we walk over to a brick courtyard and everything. We're overlooking the bijou. I said, don't you think it's beautiful? She goes, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I said, then, then why are you crying? And she goes, because I've always had a dream of a perfect house. And I drove up to this, and this is the house from my dreams. She said, I've never, like, experienced God do that before. That, you know, it's the house of her dreams. It's the only thing that we can afford. And she said, I I'm, can't really compose myself right now. So I turned around and told the guy, yeah, we'll take it. And so, anyway, we started making plans to to move up here. You know, even after we moved into that perfect house, there, there no house is perfect. 
no matter what it looks like. No house is perfect. But you know what? Any house can be perfect because it's not what we live in. It's what we live in, if you understand what I'm saying. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, Paul says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And that's what we're talking about. This, this sermon series is titled Unlimited. And, and, and God can do anything. He can make your dreams come true. Now, I'm not saying that just because you have a dream that God is going to do for you what he did to my wife, but he will do something like that when you earnestly and willingly follow him. And it doesn't cost God anything to do that because his resources are unlimited. He made everything. If you're not taking something away from somebody else by God answering your prayers. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, there is unlimited resources available to us through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet we live these, these lives that, that are depressed and, and angry and, and filled with stress. When God's like, man, look at everything that you have available to you. Maybe it's not the money. Maybe it's not the big house. Maybe it's not the living quartered horse trailer or a $50,000 horse. But all of those things will go away. The unlimited resources that God has available to us is strength and virtue and humility and things that are eternal. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the spirit. Then Christ, then, then Christ will make his home in your hearts. See, no longer is there a temple in Jerusalem where we have to go to God. Now we are the temple of God. Christ resides in us. So how do we make a perfect home? Not to live in, but to live in you know in that house there was one room and, and it was kind of fully furnished because the guy was leaving and he wasn't moving and so a lot of his furniture was still in there we piled a bunch of it into the garage but in one room and, and he told me feel free there was a room that used to be his office that was just lined I, I bet there was three thousand books in there I bet there was 3,000 books ranging from everything from range management to westerns to textbooks to romance novels, all of that. But if you want a house that God will live in, we got to replace all of that other stuff, not with necessarily westerns and, and comic books and other types of books and all of that. But we got to fill our library with one book. His word, his word. This kitchen in our new house was small, but it was handy. You ever been in a kitchen where, where like nothing, it just doesn't flow right? This kitchen, it was really, really small, but everything, it was easy to cook in, man. And my wife used to, she, she just, she really did. She loved that kitchen because she said everything was where it was supposed to be. But a lot of times in the house that we live in now, and I'm talking about our spiritual house, it's filled with worldly appetites of junk food, fame, fortune, lust, envy, greed. 
But if you want a house that Jesus will live in, we got to replace those appetites with a sustaining eternal virtues of humility and love, meekness, hope, integrity. The living room was wide open and, and, and had a, had a, a, a big fireplace that, that we had never had. We did have a fireplace in, in our double wide trailer. They're not magnificent. Okay, this one was, this one was. But a lot of times the house that we live in now is filled with fellowship of worldly companions and raucous and stuff like that. But, but we got to fill them with, with Christian brothers and sisters of, of true pards, of friends that we can fellowship with, that can share in our troubles and we can help with each other to share each other's burdens, but carry our own loads to encourage one another and love one another and support one another. Our closets of the house that we live in now are filled with hidden sins and skeletons of old. But the house that Jesus wants to live in wants to clean those out to make everything new again. And the bedrooms where we toss and turn and and fret and worry in the middle of the night about all of our problems. Jesus wants to give us a place of rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. No house is perfect, but we are the temple of God. And God says right here that I pray, Paul says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. Is your heart prepared for Christ to make his home there? That's the question. Because all of that sounded good, didn't it? A library filled with his word, a, a kitchen with, with an appetite for those things that are eternal, of a living room with fellowship, with, with true friends, of, of closets that you don't have to worry about if somebody accidentally opens one thinking it's a bathroom and everything's going to come crashing down and people are going to know your deep, dirty secrets of a bedroom that you can walk in and truly find rest. Is that your heart now? Well, it can be if it's not. But how? How can you prepare that your heart for Christ to make his home in it? Not long after we moved into that house, uh, a guy had his horses out there and he said that one of them was a kid horse. And uh, he told me, he said, man, if you and your son ever want to ride that big gray out there, I call him Texas, knew I had to ride that horse. He said, that horse, Texas, you you can ride him anytime. And uh, that other gray mare is a kid horse, man. Anybody can ride him. We've thrown, you know, two-year-olds up on her. I was like, okay. You know, so one day we're sitting there and there was these big water lots right there on 150. And so Griffin uh, I asked him one day, like, you want to go ride? He goes, yeah, dad, let's go ride. So anyway, we went down there and we saddled these horses up. I kind of gypped them both around and I jumped on this kid horse just to make sure it was okay. And it didn't do nothing. So I was like, okay, it's good. So I jumped on my horse and we got to the water lot and everything. And we walked one time around it and it was 
not that big a deal. And I said, well, let's see what happens if we strike a trot. And Texas tried to buck me off for the next eh, three or four minutes. It was real easy. You could pull him up, but he was just acting like an idiot. And so I finally got him calmed down and we're making this long trot around. And then all of a sudden, I, I, I want to say I heard something, but I don't think I did. You cowboys will know what I'm talking about. You can feel it. And I felt something and my heart just dropped because I turned around in time to see Griffin's kid horse making his second jump, trying to buck Griffin off. And Griffin is holding on with everything he's got and he's doing everything he can. And I wheel Texas around and I get that, I get that horse shut down and Griffin's just kind of sitting there shaking. I was like, are you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I was like, all right. All right. He goes, I want to get off now. <laughs> and I didn't blame him because I didn't want to ride this Texas horse anymore either. And I said, well, I, I understand that, son, but we need to make at least one more round around here. He goes, dad, I don't want to do it. So I sat there and I was like, what, what can I say to him? And I was like, Griffin, I, I, I know that it's scary. Your legs probably hurt. Your back probably hurts. Sometimes it hurts worse covering one than it does getting bucked off. And I said, but if at all possible, you need to trust me and we need to make another lap around this deal. We'll just walk. But if you get off now, then you're teaching yourself that anytime there's a problem, you can quit. And you're also teaching the horse that all it has to do is take a couple of jumps and then you'll get off. And I said, but I'm going to leave the choice up to you. He sat there for a long time, man. And if you could see the look on his face, he, you know, he wanted to get off so bad. But he finally took a deep breath. He goes, okay, one more time around. I was like, yes. You know, my heart had dropped. Now it's this big, right? And so we walked around and we got back around. I said, all right, you done? He goes, we might better make one more. I was like, yeah, my boy. And he goes, let's trot. I was like, oh my gosh, this is my boy. So we took off at a trot and we both made it around without getting bucked off or not, nothing happened. So anyway, I was like, okay, that, that's enough for today. We all proved our points to each other and all of that. So let's go unsaddle and feed and all of that. And he's like, okay. So as we're unsaddling, Griffin looks up at me. He's just a little bitty old kid. And he says, you know, dad, we might not ought to tell mom about this. I said, oh, yeah, why is that? And he goes, well, you know how moms get worried and, you know, just we, we don't want her worrying about us every time we come down here. I was like, you know what, son, you're right. You're right. That's a man right there. So we put our saddles up and we brush them down and we turn them out and feed and all that. We get in the truck and we drive up to the house and we walk in and we're not three feet inside the door. And Griffin says, mom, that horse tried to buck me off. And of course, my wife was the, she, she's a great cowboy mom. She made a big deal about it. Uh, oh my gosh, are you okay? Yeah. She goes, did you spur? You know, she, she did the whole nine yards and, you know, Griffin grew from this big to this big and everything. And of course I'm sitting there just kind of grinning and she's, you know, kind of looking over at me and he walks off and I was like, Griffin, he turned around. I was like, I thought we wasn't going to say anything to mom about this. And he says, well, dad, it ain't bragging if you did it. 
the moral of the story is that we have to trust our dad that he knows best. And he knows that the best things for us are sometimes the scariest. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. I ask you a question. How do we prepare our hearts for God to come in of a library filled with his word, with with a kitchen filled with, with eternal appetites of closets that are cleaned out, living rooms full of filled with fellowship of of honest and true friends and bedrooms where we can come when we are weary and heavy laden and God will give us rest. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. As you trust in him, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. God's unlimited power and strength are available to those who make their homes with him by trusting in him. Easier said than done, isn't it? Easier said than done. See, trusting God can be scary. But doing what he says will always work out better in the end. It will always work out better in the end. You know, a lot of you are on Bronx right now and your dad is telling you that you got to keep going and all you want to do is quit and get off and never get back on again. But you know, if you will listen in your heart, God is telling you to trust in him and keep going. He knows it's scary. He's not going to send you off on your own. He's going to be right there with you. He's going to be right there with you. See, trusting God is growing in God. And you know what? As our roots grow down, you know what? Trusting in God is this as you grow. It takes time. You're not just going to leave here after a motivational speech about trusting in God and go, I fully trust in God right now. You know, that's like saying, well, I'm tough. You know, I'm a tough guy. Everybody says that they're tough, but I want to be there whenever you get yard darted. Trusting in God is easy whenever there's nothing to trust. What about when you're in that wreck? You got to learn to trust him. You got to learn that it takes time. But it takes time by doing it. Because trusting God keeps you strong and makes you strong. If you have felt weak, it's probably because you keep getting off. You're not trusting in God. You're trusting in yourself that you think you know the right way. Well, you don't. Only God does. And, and you're like, well, how do I know? How do I know what God's will is? To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is your, stru- your true act of spiritual worship so that you will know the will of God. You've got to think about it. You've got to read the good book. I mean, it's an instruction manual. If you're not sure what God says, it's because you don't read your Bible because it's filled with what God says. And it's usually, well, the reason we don't trust in him is because it's scary and it's hard. And those are the two things that we shy away from every single time is when it's scary and it's hard. We want easy and not scary. I don't even know the word for that. Trusting in God can be scary. Trusting God is growing in Christ and that takes time. 
And trusting God keeps you strong. Do it anyway. You're going to be scared. It's going to be hard. Do it anyway. That's how you get strong. This trust became apparent to me whenever I was told that my dad only had a 10% chance of living after a Sunday sermon much like this. You see, his small intestine. A surgeon told me that his small intestine had died. The CAT scan showed that his entire small intestine had died. They were going to go in and do exploratory surgery. And there was only an 80 to 90% chance that my dad would live. And I told that surgeon to his face, I said, 80 to 90% chance is just when my God gets warmed up. He said, are you a believer? And I said, absolutely. And he said, well, God's the only thing that can save your dad. I said, amen to that. After the surgeon left to prepare for surgery, I went in just me and my dad. Everybody else was outside. And I laid my hand on my dad's stomach, took a hat off that looked very much like this one, threw it in the floor and held my dad's hand. And I prayed over my dad and I said, Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to heal my dad. Not because of anything that I've done and not because of anything that he's done, not because of who I am, not because of who he is, but because of who you are. You told a woman, a guy one time that uh, the guy said, you can heal me if you're willing. And Jesus said, what do you mean if I'm willing? Of course I'm willing. It's a short prayer. To make a long story short, about four hours later, a surgeon walked into the uh, operating waiting room, ripped off his mask and said, you serve a mighty God. The CAT scan had showed that his entire small intestine was dead. You have to have four inches in order to sustain life. And my dad had exactly four inches of the healthiest intestine that that surgeon had ever seen. So I went home, back to the ranch. And I prayed the whole way. It was a three-word prayer. I honestly did not know what else to say. So for a little over an hour of being up for nearly 24, I said, thank you, Jesus, for an hour, a little over an hour. And I got, I got to my house. I walked in. My wife was asleep on the couch because I had been texting her, keeping her uh, posted on everything that was happening. And I knelt down beside the couch and I grabbed a hold of her hand. And I bowed my head and said that prayer again. I said, thank you, Jesus. In my mind or in my heart, I heard Jesus say to me, ask me really what you want. Say what you really want to say. Ask what you really want to ask. I don't know if I opened my physical eyes or just my spiritual eyes, but my head was bowed and I had the image of Jesus's nail-scarred feet. He was standing before me and I was knelt down before him in a double-wide trailer at Kinosa, Texas. And in my mind, I wrapped my arms around his legs and I said, what he told me to say. I asked the question, 
that had been plaguing me. I said, why did you heal my dad? Because it was, it was him. You ever had a prayer of that magnitude answered? It'll spook you. I said, why did you heal my dad? For all outward appearances, I'm just knelt down by the couch holding my wife's hand with my head bowed. Why did you heal my dad? His answer broke my heart. But it also opened up a brand new world to me. When I heard his answer to my question, great gushing sobs. I had not cried the entire night. I had to be the strong one. I was the preacher, right? Everybody was looking to me for strength. I was the oldest child. I had to keep everything in. I had to keep my wife posted on everything. My poor brother was stuck in Las Vegas on vacation and he's sitting at a slot machine waiting on a text whether his dad is going to live or die. I had been strong the entire time, but when Jesus answered my question of why did you heal my dad, it broke my heart. The floodgates opened. I slung snot and tears all over that double wide trailer from my kneeling position. After a minute, I felt my wife's hand on my head and she goes, uh, honey, your dad is going to be okay. (laughs) How do you ask that question, right? Why are you crying? But at that moment, I couldn't tell her what Jesus had said to me. But when you come back, I'll tell you next week. I'll tell you what he said and why it changed my life forever and why it'll change yours too.